Lord Jesus, together we celebrate today your sufficiency. That you are more than enough to cover all of our sin and all of our wrongdoing and all of our brokenness. Because of you, we have a hope. Because of you, we have a future. We have salvation. We have redemption. We have an opportunity to relate with God, to walk and talk together as it was in the beginning. Lord Jesus, may we understand you so that we can love you and celebrate you and adore you. Lord Jesus, would you give us eyes to see who you really are, who, have, who you have revealed yourself to be. We ask now as we turn to the scriptures that you would guide us and that you would reveal yourself. And in your name we pray. Amen. I had the chance this last week to talk um, for a couple minutes to the craft group, which was wonderful. And, uh, and part of what I spoke to them about is something that I think needs, well, is already at work in many of the conversations that we have with, with other people in our community, which is that Christianity is no longer a known thing in Australia. Everyone knows what this symbol means, especially if it's bright yellow and up on a sign somewhere. It's a really easily recognized symbol. But this symbol is not an easily recognized symbol. People get tattoos of crosses and they wear crosses around their neck and they have earrings and other jewelry and, and even things hanging up in their car. But the story of who Jesus is is no longer a story which everyone in our culture knows. We, if we stand on a street corner and we hand a piece of paper to someone, there is actually no longer a guarantee in our country, that that person has enough understanding about Jesus to read something that maybe everyone understood 50, 60 years ago, even 15, 20 years ago. And so we need to be very, very skillful people at telling Jesus' story. And that's what we're here to celebrate today is his story. So let's tell the story again. Because I want you to focus on the majesty and the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ this afternoon. And if it moves you, good. From cover to cover, these documents which have been handed down to us tell one story. And don't take my word for it. Read it for yourself. And the story is very simple, that God brought humanity into existence, that God pre-existed everything. And it was not because God was lonely or God was bored, but because there was a life at work in the very being of God that spilled out. And all that God is almost arced out and brought space into existence for us. We were created to walk and talk with God. And in the beginning, it says that God hovered over the waters, brooded schemed is in the text that it was not aimless it was intentional God had a plan from the very beginning and then God spoke and light comes into existence 
before a sun or a moon or a star, before anything, light happens because God is light. And humanity is created as the pinnacle of of this creation that we're told about, that we are the jewel in the crown. We are created in God's image and God breathes into human beings something he doesn't do for any other form of life. That's why as Christians we believe that life, human life, is different to every other form of life. And our relationship with God is something then that humanity rejects. We're told that God has an enemy in the beginning, someone who is jealous of the relationship, the status that human beings have. And we find references throughout the prophets and throughout the historic literature, throughout the early creation accounts of this enemy of God who turns up to screw up your relationship with God. And the lie that humanity gets sold is this, God can't be trusted. What God is giving you is not enough. God does not have your best interests at heart. You don't have to be in relationship beneath God. You can be God yourself. That's the lie that lives in the middle of every human heart. That's the lie that you and I are born into. The Apostle Paul says that human beings are born spiritually dead, cut off from God. Because when humanity and God had this relationship break, It means that everything that God is, God's love, God's mercy, God's joy, God's creativity, God's purpose, God's identity, everything that flowed from God to us was cut off. And is it any wonder that we live in a world where people wrestle trying to figure out their own identity, their own purpose? People scratch away at this life trying to find some joy or some peace or some love, wanting to find belonging, wanting to find validation. It's all in here. And so God, now who has withdrawn himself from humanity, begins a long process, thousands of years, of reintroducing himself because he loves us And because he loves us from the beginning, he loves human beings. Because he loves us, the plan of salvation is put in place. God promises that he will fix it. He promises that he is going to make amends. We find Abraham as this character in the Old Testament who has a vision of a pot which is Flaming and there's smoke billowing out of it and God puts an agreement in place with Abraham that doesn't rest on Abraham at all. The onus of responsibility rests on God that God's going to do this thing and that God is going to create a people group for himself. And then we go on and we find Moses is interrupted by this burning bush and then The Exodus event happens and the people come to the mountain of God and there is billowing smoke and darkness and flashes of thunder and lightning. And then God speaks in the midst of it again and God changes the agreement. The fancy word is covenant. God changes the boundaries of how he's going to interact with people. We find again throughout the scriptures that when God turns up, God takes these these things which are scary and uncontrollable to us, like fire, like wind, 
like water. And he says, this is what I'm like. He puts in place this code that, that if you want to be in relationship with God, you have to recognize, first of all, that you have done wrong. And that blood, particularly in the, in the way that God sets it up, the blood of an innocent animal has to be shed so that we recognize that our sinfulness is overcome with innocent blood. And God puts in place this sacrificial system and it's in place for thousands of years. That is the way that he chooses to interact. Those are his terms of engagement. And God introduces himself again and again and again. And this promise lingers that one day he is going to turn up in person. He ends up having this temple built for him with an altar and a veil to separate the most holy place from the the place of worship. And once a year, a priest would go through this incredibly elaborate cleansing ritual and would enter into the most holy place. And there the Ark of the Covenant would sit. This golden box, which God had said, you have to build it this way. And the lid of this would have an angel at either end cast in gold with their arms outstretched and there in that space the very presence of God would turn up and meet and speak with this priest and that place was called the mercy seat and these are the terms of God's engagement this is the way God chooses to speak to people and this promise lingers that when God turns up God is scary but God is good God is not something that we can control, but God blesses us. When God turns up, we should expect that there is going to be fire. There is going to be darkness. There is going to be rushing wind. But God is good and God is safe and God deals with us on his terms. And then Jesus turns up. We celebrate Christmas. This beautiful moment where a virgin will conceive. The very spirit of God will overshadow her. The angel says to Mary. And that someone is going to come into existence who is completely human because humans made the mess. Humans have to fix it. The burden of responsibility is on humans to solve an eternal problem this broken relationship with God but God's the only one who has the power to do so and so God steps in and Jesus becomes completely human and completely God he is literally the God man and for 2,000 years followers of Jesus have wrestled with that idea at every turn philosophers throughout All ancient cultures argued saying, you know, if God is completely God, he can't be a human. If he's completely human, he can't be a God. And Christians respond, we hear your arguments. But this is who Jesus is. If Jesus is not completely human, then he cannot fix our broken relationship with God. He cannot fix it unless he is completely 100% human to fix it as a man, as a human. But if he is anything less than God from God and light from light, then he is not an eternal being. Then he lacks the power to fix the problem. He is not limitless enough 
to cover the sins of all and to stand righteously before God the Father. He's not powerful enough to conquer death. He's not God enough to change the rules that God has put in place. John records these words in chapter 3. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seemly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. When God turns up, when Jesus starts walking and talking, he has this effect on people. That some people go, I want the light. I'm prepared to admit my mistakes, just like the sacrifices that were put in place in the Old Testament. I'm prepared to admit my wrongdoing and I need God to cover it. I need his forgiveness. I need his way of dealing with it. There are others who go, you know what? I haven't done anything wrong. I'm just going to justify my own actions. I'm going to stay away from this Jesus stuff. And it's still the same today. Jesus says of himself these words. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And this is what it means to follow Jesus, is to see that he is the one who brings all of creation together. He is the one that everything was made for. He is the one that everything was made through. He is the one who is going to return. As we've been singing already this afternoon, he is our hope. He is the one who's going to make everything right. Oh, glorious day. In writing to those who would come after him, John then records these words in his first letter. He says, this is the message we have heard from him, from Jesus, and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. God can be trusted. God is not holding out on you. God is not lying to you. God is not deceiving you. God is not ripping you off. God is actually who he claims to be. The lie is not true. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. When I bring all the wreckage and the broken pieces of my life and I ask the Lord to take hold of them and I ask him for his forgiveness, not only does he reveal his forgiveness, but then we get to walk differently. The language of the New Testament is that when we give our life to Jesus, when we belong to him and he belongs to us, we become a new creation. And here John says, if we, if we say that we've become a new creation, if we say we walk with Jesus, that we know who he is, that we've come into the light, and yet we still live like an old creation, then something's not right. I said to the craft group on Thursday, sometimes as Christians, I wonder how well we do at communicating this. 
Because so often people go, you know what? I'm a good person. And I go, really? Is that the message we've told people? That you can be good enough and, and ignore all of this? Is that the message we've given? That, that God won't accept you unless you're good enough? That I have to tidy myself up before I come to God? Because that's the complete opposite of Easter. Easter is where that veil of the temple gets ripped in two from top to bottom. There is no longer any separation between the most holy God and those who want to come into his presence. There is no separation. Jesus has ripped the veil of the temple in two. Now we don't clean ourselves up to come into the presence of God. We come into the presence of God and he cleans us up. He forgives us. He transforms us. He gives us the power to live a different life. I know some of you were there this morning as we had the chance to walk and to read the scriptures and to pray together. I think it is good for us, particularly on a day like today, to pause and to think about what it was that went on for Jesus in that space. Completely divine and completely human. I'd like to read to you from Luke's gospel. I encourage you to read along with me. I'll be in chapter 23. Luke 23 says this. The whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him saying, we have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payments of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. How little they understood about who they were dealing with. So Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. And we know that when he said that, what he meant was that the truth is now coming from Pilate as well. It uh, doesn't always translate well into Aussie. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. King Herod thought Jesus would do some tricks for him. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him, dressing him in an elegant robe. They sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers of the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. 
Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Barabbas was guilty of all the things that Jesus was being accused of. Verse 18, but the whole crowd, sorry, verse 20. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them. Why, what crime has this man committed? I have found none. I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. See, some people love the light and some people hate the light. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children, for the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there. Along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Completely God and completely man. And humiliated and shamed and whipped and insulted. And he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots, by rolling dice. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. If you don't know why they offered him wine vinegar, come and ask me about it later. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. 
It was now about noon. And darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. God is about to change the way he interacts with human beings. The sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. And your sin gets dealt with. And your sin is taken away forever and forever and forever and you are no longer under the judgment of God. Jesus has taken it away from you. No more fear of hell. No more fear of judgment. No more wondering how God feels about you. No more having to try and earn your way into his good books. No more wondering what God is like. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, how could you possibly love us this much? How could your love for us be so great that you in your majesty and in your perfection would step out of fellowship with the Father and would step into this mess, into this world? Lord Jesus, we declare today that you are the God who comes into the mess. You are the light in the darkness. And no one apart from you is deserving of honor or praise or adoration. Lord Jesus, we declare together today that you are the Father's sufficiency. You are the great sacrifice. Lord Jesus, as your disciples as they sat 
not knowing what would happen next, not knowing where to go or what to do, not knowing your purposes. Lord Jesus, so we commit ourselves to you that we look forward to your coming. We look forward to the great and glorious day when you will walk upon the face of this planet again as you promised. Lord Jesus, we thank you for all of those who have fallen asleep in you. We trust you that your words are true, that you would come and take them to be with you where you are. Lord Jesus, we long for your coming, for this world to be made right again. We know that you are the saviour and that we are not. And Lord, we ask how long, how long until you come? between today and that day when you turn up. Lord Jesus, please give us strength. Would you give us a spine? Would you give us boldness to proclaim you faithfully? Even though there are people who will hate the light as much as they did back then, they'll hate it today. Help us not to misrepresent you. Help us not to skew your story. Help us to lead other people to you and not just to an activity, but to know you yourself. But Lord Jesus, you are so majestic. You are so beautiful and you are so perfect and you are so loving. And we honor you today. Amen.